I think a sequence that is coherent feels good. It feels satisfying in your body mind. A sequence that's a little random feels random, right? It feels like a hodgepodge of poses that are just thrown. And I'm sure we've all been to those type of classes where you just, the teachers maybe calling out this, that, and the other. It doesn't seem like the poses are that well related to each other. And you kind of get the feeling of disorganization. Almost like you've been to a buffet and you've had just so many different samples of different cuisine. You're left with some indigestion. A good sequence that's got coherence based on what the teacher is trying to lead you to gives you the exact opposite. Well, welcome to Guys Talking Yoga, a podcast created to help raise awareness for the practice of yoga and its many benefits through the stories of other men. I'm your host, Derek Vanderwalker, and I've been doing for yoga for over 20 years. It's helped me immensely, physically, mentally, spiritually, and I know it can help others too. Today's guest is Jeffrey Roniger. He's been leading yoga classes for over 20 years and is the founder of New Orleans-based Yoga Unbound, a hybrid studio model offering online, in-classroom, and private instruction. In this conversation, Jeffrey and I really hit what seems to be only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the experience and perspective he's gained over the last 20 plus years. And I feel this short interview doesn't actually do justice here because he's worked with some great names in the industry, including Rodney Yee and Richard Rosen, some absolute legends. So when we kick this off, you're going to drop in where Jeffrey's sharing the story of how he first got introduced to yoga at 19 years old on a hot day in New Orleans when his sister, girlfriend, and mom dragged him to an Ashtanga class. It was my sore style, Ashtanga yoga, the pure style taught by uh, from the Patabi Joyce lineage. And um, introduced myself to the teacher, and she basically taught me sun citations and then gave me a little bit of verbal instruction. And I started doing it within five minutes, I was myself just dripping with sweat. And I remember thinking, wow, this is really hard. And I was also inspired because I was just looking around and seeing some of the athletic feats that people were doing that looked just fun to me. She taught me Surya Namaskar A and Surya Namaskar B, the, the two sun citation forms, a couple standing poses. That was all I was allowed to do. She said, how do you like it? And I said, this feels great. And she asked me to, I guess, commit. She's like, the best way to do this is, is have a consistent practice. And if it works, great. If you can come four or five days a week. And I did that whole summer, man, from June, July through August. Learned the whole primary series of Ashtanga. And even then, you know, looking back on it now, the first thing that attracted me to it was that physical, wow, my back feels great. But as I was walking to the car, I noticed also quietness about my whole system. And I remember thinking too, like, wow, this is what it's like to not feel anxious. So let me jump in there for a second. You know, some folks who are listening here may not be familiar with Ashtanga yoga. What is Ashtanga yoga and what makes it different than probably the other forms of yoga you typically see in most studios? Yeah, so classical Ashtanga yoga, as was codified by Patabi Joyce from Mysore, India. It is a set series or set sequence of postures, 72 of them in the primary series. So they're done in the same order every time. And it's a very dynamic 
flowing style of yoga. People who are maybe listening to this right now have probably had some exposure to flow yoga or vinyasa yoga or power yoga, right? Well, those are all derivatives of Patavi Joyce's Ashtanga system. They all have the sun salutation as their main template, doing upper dog, downward dog, things like that. Modern power yoga has that same template, but it weaves in standing poses. It's very athletic and dynamic and you can see why it's so popular because it satisfies anyone who wants a, a workout. Going back there, you're 19 years old. You just had a, a whole bunch of amazing yoga classes. You're feeling stronger and healthier. At the same time, you're feeling more relaxed and at ease. So where did your yoga path go from there after first getting exposed to Ashtanga yoga in New Orleans? Yeah, so then I kept practicing it when I went back to school at, at Vanderbilt in Nashville. As a student, I didn't have enough money to afford regular classes. So I would treat myself for one class a month at this downtown studio in Nashville. And when I was there, I remember talking to the owner of that studio, like, hey, do you have any way, any you know, hints as to how I could practice on my own? And she recommended this video. <laughs> She's like, this is the greatest video. It was a VHS tape and it was called Yoga for Energy with Rodney Yee. And I bought that thinking, you know, all right, well, this would, you know, I could do this over and over again for cheap. And I would, you know, play it in my dorm room. Roommates would come in or my friends on the college hall be like, what the hell are you doing, Roniger? Like, and I remember just telling like, I don't know, you guys, I, I, I just like it. It's called yoga and I, I really like it. It feels good. So that was kind of the college experience. And then I was a European studies major in college. I'd done a semester abroad in France. And after I graduated, I knew I wanted to go back and, and live in Europe. So I got work visas in Ireland and in the UK, which enabled me to live over there for a year and a half. And the, the winding path for me was that as I was stressed out looking for employment in Edinburgh, Scotland, I had the same thing. All right, well... I know I'm going through this challenging time where my money is dwindling and I need to find work. Well, what's the thing that's always helped me find center and find some calm? It's yoga. So I, I threw down for a little series of classes at this place called the Yoga Center in Edinburgh. And they had a little sign on their community board that said, hey, we're moving and we could use some, some manual labor help. But five pounds an hour, whatever, whatever. So I took that job, ended up helping them move into a new studio and the guy who owned the place said hey we, would you mind staying on because we have we're gonna be doing this project for a while he was renovating a 19th century church into the, this large beautiful purpose-built yoga studio and as part of my i guess paying i got free classes and that was again in the ashtanga tradition i was studying at that point with a man named uh, Andrew. a scotsman yes Really, that lasted for whew, about six months, that whole job. I was still really committed to the Ashtanga system. And I guess I had a, a midlife crisis at, at this point, age 22, where I just was wondering, what am I going to do when my work visas run out and I go back to the United States? And then I asked myself, what would you do with your life if money was not and I sat on this little park bench in the middle of the meadows of Edinburgh, Scotland. And the only honest answer I could come up with was, I would study yoga. I was like, I love this tradition. I love this art form and I want to learn more about it. And that led me back to the United States. I ended up moving to San Francisco, thinking that was going to be like the hub of, of yoga in the United States. It also happened to be where my brother lived. So it was an easy 
landing spot. A bunch of my college friends were moving there as well. And, and lo and behold, I found my way to Rodney E's class over in, in Oakland, the man whose video I'd done all those years. Did you sort of seek him out? You knew in your heart you wanted to go out to the Bay Area because you were like, this is where this stuff is happening. And then since you knew who Rodney Yee was and he's the one that VHS sparked your interest, was there a desire of like, hey, I want to seek this guy out because that's where my center began? Absolutely, Derek. I mean, it was like, if you listen to a Paul Simon album and then you realize he's in town, you can go to the concert. You want to see that at live, right? With that connection. So I you know, rode my bike down to the BART station and took probably an hour and a half just to get over to the studio in Oakland and I absolutely sought him out. And it blew my mind. When I took Rodney's class, it absolutely just blew me away. It was so different than the Ashtanga that I'd been doing. Longer holds and poses, poses I'd never seen. The way he was speaking had this incredible poetic quality to it and, and energetic, subtle quality to it that was just really attractive to me. And I stuck with studying with him for a long time. Interesting point. So the Ashtanga yoga that you started doing at 19, in the physicality of it, the sort of regimented system, there was obviously some consistency on what you were doing. You could build and you could pr- progress. You get to Rodney Yee and you realize there's a lot more than just this style of yoga that you first encountered, which I think, by the way, for a lot of us, they realize that there's lots of different styles of yoga. And depending on where you are in your path or where you are in your life or what you need, there's different types of yoga that you can explore and check out. So when you were doing this Rodney Yee class and you notice all these other things, how did it change your perspective on how yoga could be so dynamic and help improve the physical aspects of who Jeffrey was at the time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, what was the difference? And for me, the ability to stay in postures for long enough to deepen my observation of what was happening just opened up a new inner landscape. Whereas in Ashtanga, you're moving so quickly from pose to pose, and you're really only holding them for five breaths. It's not that that practice doesn't have depth, but it certainly prohibits you from finding certain nuances. And so Rodney was inviting me into this new inner landscape and pointing out things that he found interesting. New levels of depth, new connections between body parts, and frankly, a a whole new well of that stillness or calmness I feel like he, he, he brought me to a place where that was even more. It almost sounds like the beginning of a sense of your own agency within, like helping you learn how to tune into what's going on. Uh, what are you feeling? What are you noticing? And I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, it's been incredibly empowering to have a sense of when my foot is doing this. This is how it's affecting my hips, my spine, my shoulders. And you start to realize like, wait a minute, I actually can play off this and learn to work through this or work with it. That's right, dude. And so with those discoveries, you start to incorporate that information or those insights into your other endeavors. You start to be more aware of what your foot's doing when you're riding your bike, what your foot's doing when you're standing there taking order from a table. Basically, that depth kind of empowers you to feel what's going on, and then to replicate more of it on your own. 
And that was exciting because I didn't feel like I was as dependent on the form of Ashtanga Yoga. You broke free a little bit. So here you are, your mid-20s. Rodney Yee has opened the door for you, so to speak. Where did your path go from there and deciding that you wanted to go into teacher training? Yeah, so really, back to that question, my little existential moment on the park bench in Edinburgh was what would I do? And I, I would study yoga. So I heard that he had had the 850-hour teacher training, a two-year program. They called it advanced studies slash teacher training, with advanced studies being the most important part because they wanted you to develop more as a practitioner before you're considering being a teacher. And I, I signed up for that course, met my other main mentor in that program, which is Richard Rosen. So it's Richard and, and Rodney who really, yeah, mentored me and shepherded me through that whole thing. Halfway through the program, Derek, one of my yoga buddies in the program, her name was Jane Dobson, and she said, listen, I'm, I'm dropping out of a program because I want to open the studio in San Francisco. I got this great opportunity. I'm looking for teachers. Would you teach? I'm like, no way. There's no way I'm teaching. I'm not ready yet. We're only halfway through the program, and I furthermore don't have any interest in teaching. And she just really like insisted. She's like, look, there's one class on our schedule. It's 7 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Please, just will you teach a class? And I finally acquiesced. And I was like, I'll do it. The first day, the only people who showed up to my class were my cousin Megan, who was in art school in San Francisco at the time. Next class, Wednesday, nobody showed up. So I was a little bit of a bummer. Next one, maybe one person. It kind of went like that, yeah. teaching one, two, maybe four people, zero people. But what I discovered there was I loved the practice of teaching. I found that when I was trying to teach others and share information that was useful to me, it clarified what I knew and what I didn't know and what I wanted to explore. And it also felt energizing to me. Sharing something I loved, having someone else experience that, almost like if you cook something that you really enjoy eating that's nourishing, you share that with somebody, they feel the same satisfaction and joy. Well, you both feel better for it, right? And it was that type of symbiosis, I guess, that, that kept me wanting to teach more. The idea of being able to share something that's benefited yourself with somebody else and then actually get even better at learning how to share that with others is a practice within a practice. And one of the things that I really appreciated that yoga has done for me is no longer becoming focused on the results, really start to focus in on enjoying the practice and the process of whatever you're doing. And so the, the metaphor is there for how you can use a yoga practice to start changing your mind and your way of thinking about results. And I just find that the more that it goes on, the, the more really that has been the most valuable reward that I've gotten out of this. So how did the study of yoga and your teaching of yoga start to intertwine? And how did that further develop your interest and curiosity about this path? Yeah, so... One of my friends, who is a yoga teacher, said, I'm going out of town for a month, and I'm wondering if you could just sub for some of my private clients. And that was my first foray into teaching people one-on-one. I would go to their house, a little duffel bag for props. And, and I found that even more so than the public classes, I enjoyed teaching on a one-on-one basis because I was able to craft a practice for somebody based on what they were needing. And it felt all of a sudden like I was becoming more creative with how I was serving them. It was challenging me to really observe what they needed and to respond appropriately. 
And I guess my name got passed around to some of their friends and all of a sudden I had my own little burgeoning private clientele. But this was concomitant with the training program. So I was, I was learning to teach, getting paid to teach, making my money as a waiter at a restaurant in San Francisco. And then one of the men who would come into this restaurant all the time was a man named Tony Sanchez. He was like the star pupil of, of Bikram, the man who created the, the Bikram method, right? So Tony Sanchez comes in, he's like, look, I'm moving to Baja, Mexico. I'm closing my studio. I've got this corporate group called Salesforce.com that I teach three days a week. And, you know, they're, they're basically auditioning teachers. I, I, I know you're still in training and you're new, but would you be willing to go audition? I said, for sure. Went to their, their downtown office. I guess they liked me well enough to hire me. So I was the in-house teacher for Salesforce for gosh, about five years too. You know, similar to the experience I had teaching private lessons, when I was in a corporate room and they were so stressed out after whatever big meetings, I'd go lead them through practice and I'd watch the whole atmosphere of that conference room change. People would just thank me immensely for how it helped them transition from their very stressful workday to their home life. And so it kept me wanting to serve them as best I can and to identify what their challenges were, the common complaints, lower back pain, neck and shoulder stiffness, insomnia, migraine headaches, things like that. I started to use more of the alignment techniques that I've been learning from Rodney and Richard to help them address those problems. And it was, yeah, it was successful and that led to some other corporate groups. So again, my name, I guess, started getting a little passed around. And before you know it, I was teaching amorous biotechnologies over at Oakland, an urban think tank in San Francisco, an architecture firm. And so I had all these little gigs that I would go to either midday or early morning before work or even for Salesforce, it was after work. And yeah, so my early experience was not just teaching yoga in a studio, but bringing it outside of the studio. And that's still been interesting to me. So, you know, one of the things that I have learned to appreciate along the way, you need a certain type of class or you want a certain type of class that has a particular focus. So when I go to a vinyasa class or some kind of slow flow class or an alignment class, I usually find that the better classes are the ones when the teacher has thought through a sequence and maybe it has a peak pose, maybe it doesn't, but there's a clearly an intention plan for how he or she wants to take the students through the class. So what is sequencing and why does good sequencing matter? That's such a good question too. The idea of a good sequence is something that prepares you toward that end, right? So that you're going in a, a progression from something on the simpler side to something more complex. That could be peak pose, like, hey, I'm going to get you into handstand or something. But it doesn't have to just be that peak pose. It can be to an experience you're trying to facilitate, trying to get more focus. I want to sequence to better mental focus. Well, maybe I start to do a series of balancing poses that sort of force me to become more present or body as a space, right? There are all sorts of sequences that can be used for a variety of, of reasons. And I think a sequence that is coherent feels good. It feels satisfying in your body-mind. A sequence that's a little random 
feels random, right? It feels like a hodgepodge of poses that are just thrown. And I'm sure we've all been to those type of classes where you just, the teachers maybe calling out this, that, and the other. It doesn't seem like the poses are that well related to each other. And you kind of get the feeling of disorganization, almost like you've been to a buffet and you've had just so many different samples of different cuisine. You're left with some indigestion, a good sequence that's got coherence based on what the teacher is trying to lead you to gives you the exact opposite. Instead of indigestion, it makes you feel satiated. Yeah. It makes you feel filled. It makes you feel complete in some way. Yeah, well said. So to follow up on that one, when you have a new student in your class, do you give them guidance on where you recommend that they roll their mat out, where in the studio they should be? How do you handle new students? I try to make people feel maximally comfortable and non-intimidated. That's the first one. Just, hey, orienting you to the space. Here's where the restroom, change your drawer. Here are the type of props that we're going to be using in class. Here's how we typically lay our mats out. Um, maybe introduce them to someone else who's in the room. Ask them about what brought them there. I think the, the biggest hurdle for most people, male or female or whatever, is just that you feel intimidated by doing something new. And you are put in different positions that might make you feel awkward. And so the best way to ameliorate that is to help someone feel comfortable in the space and and well-oriented. So I always help people in my teacher training programs. There are three phases, essentially, of teaching a pose. There's the orientation phase, there's the clarification phase, and there's a marination phase. Right? So orientation is just where are your limbs in warrior two? Your arms are out to the side. Here's how your feet are turning. This is just basic where your body parts are in space relative to each other. Clarification might be the more refinement layer where you're starting to do something within that shape that's hopefully bringing more integration and balance to it. And then marination is the, the phase that many of us are apt to skip over. That's just the real absorption being there without any more fidgeting or refining. Part of the reason we skip the marination phase is because we're in a culture where we try to go to immediately to the next thing. Amen to that. Many of these classes are just way too fast. And particularly if you're starting to really get a sense for your body, you know, it takes a minute to get into these poses, you know, literally and figuratively. And I think for guys who are just starting to get their own little flow with their practice, you know, coming to a studio, coming to the same class, perhaps on Saturday morning or whatever it is, like they start to realize how this feels and what to look for. And just unfortunately, too many of these classes move a bit too quick. So before they could even really get settled in on side angle pose, they're already back. Someone's back in down dog. I wish there were more classes where they really slow it down because I think that marinating in the pose is so key. It really is, dude. And it just feels to me like if we don't slow down at least somewhat, then we're superimposing our habits of rushing around through life onto the yoga practice. And it's not really working as an antidote to the the, the pace that we're in. We're just doing more of the same. Yeah. So, Jeffrey, this has been great. And we're going to have to do another conversation down the road again, because I think a lot of your experience is working with some of those companies you mentioned and just dealing with the corporate community. So someday it'd be great to have you back again and talk more about that part of your practice and that part of your experience with yoga. 
Absolutely, man. I'm totally up for it and would love to continue our conversation. Right on, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and we'll be in touch. Thanks a lot, Derek. You know, what I really appreciate about Jeffrey is not only how much he's committed himself to sharing this practice pretty much right out of college, but also how quickly yoga connected with his own heart and soul. And I think all of us have that opportunity, no matter where you are on your path, to really feel it. He's into this stuff, and it's really great to hear him share his passion for yoga. Thanks for listening.